part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Anybody know the name Joshua Harris? I wrote a book several years ago, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, it was kind of a revolutionary book that came out, and it really was very popular among uh, a Christian, you know, kind of era there where people said, okay, I don't want to just go out and start dating. I really want to be very biblical about courting somebody. And it really kind of caught people by storm. There was many detractors. There were many people say, I don't know that that's really biblical. And others would say, man, this is the only way to date biblically. And, uh, and so he kind of became quite famous and, and had a huge following, became a pastor of, a, of what ended up being a mega church at a very, very early age without a lot of training and a lot of you know, background there. And uh, we kind of put him up on a pedestal. Unfortunately, in Christianity, sometimes we do that with the latest flavor of the day. And it, it's really unfortunate. Well, maybe if you follow along the stories, of, you know, uh, and especially in the last two months, um, this this dear man uh, decided to divorce his wife and in the last couple of weeks has said, you know, I, I, I do not affirm Christianity anymore. And it came as a real shock to a lot of people. And to people like myself, it just rips my heart out because this is a guy that, you know, that I looked up to that I thought was, you know, just right in there. And, and I share that with you not to throw him under the bus because we need to be praying for those people but what that does when we see people that really start well and they live well and they're loving Christ well and then for whatever reason, difficulty in their life, challenge in their life, and I pray that this is just a season in his life and that he will reaffirm his faith in Christ and come back and be more dynamic and it really have a story to tell about, man, this is when you go through the shaker, sometimes this is what shakes out. But thank God what we just saying, that when I wasn't holding on to him, that God's holding on to me. In the middle of the night, that God's holding on to me. That's my prayer for Joshua Harris and for any that would be like that. I, I don't imagine that you would have to think too long to go in your family tree, in your sphere of influence, of, of friends and, and family, to find somebody that maybe loved Christ well during many seasons of their life and then for whatever reason just kind of left the faith. I mean, I just stopped coming to church. But really, you know, I'm not so sure about this whole Bible thing and this God thing and this Jesus thing and this crucifixion thing. And it rips our heart out. Here's what I've learned, guys. One of my favorite hymns. Prone to wander, oh, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. I'm one graceful hold of Christ away from that in my life. Believe it or not, you are too. Oh, I would never doubt the faith, Pastor. If Christ was not holding on to us, guys, any of us, any of us are susceptible of falling away and turning our back and just saying, you know, because of pain or suffering or, or disgust in our lives, it really is that easy. And that's why we like the security of Christ because he has finished the work. Isn't it wonderful that God has finished everything so that he didn't do 95% and said, okay, upon your shoulders, Brian, is this last 5%. That somehow you've got to complete the task before it can be all accomplished in your life. 
No, Christ has done 100%. And now we get to, to follow and believe. Well, I start all that this morning because uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, we get this word of action that comes right after what many people have called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 starts listing all these people, Moses, Noah, Jacob, all these people, the Abraham, all these people of great, great faith are there. And it's kind of traditionally known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. These great people that we read about in the Old Testament that God says, okay, because of their faith, it was counted righteousness to them. In other words, they believed what was coming in Jesus Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who that is, but he's writing this knowing that Christ has now come and that there's a completion of all the things that they believed in. But look what is the very first word that he opens up. Now remember, when they were writing, like the writer of Hebrews, he didn't go, end of chapter 11, ver- uh, chapter 12. They didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses. We added that in later so the pastors could go, open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. But this was written as one letter. But in this continuous letter, He goes from this hall of fame of faith and he uses a connection word that we see often, what we call an exhortation. Remember? A command, but it's a loving command. It's a coach who's on your side who wants you to win. Okay? And so what is that word? Therefore, You may have another translation that says it a different way, but they all are the same Greek word and all are connection. Because of this hall of fame of faith... Here's what we draw from that. Here's kind of the actions that we draw from that. So let's read that. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people that he just mentioned, Abraham, Moses, Noah, all these people, he says that's like a great cloud of witnesses that have people who have gone out there and lived this faith. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also... Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It seems like the last two months, uh, you can check with a lot of my discipleship guys and a lot of the other, this word endurance just keeps on coming back up. And I don't know what God's trying to tell me, (laughs) you know, that I just need to make sure that I finish with endurance. But this endurance, I begin to see it in almost everything. It's just a constant in the Word of God. And what God is lovingly telling us to do is that He wants us to run this race and to run it with this endurance so that, as Apostle Paul said, that we get to finish the race. Now, what does that look like in your life and my life? What does it mean to really be a person of endurance? I was sharing with one of my discipleship partners uh, a couple weeks ago about some amazing stats. I love baseball. I love sports, but I really love baseball. Hank Aaron, how many home runs did he hit? Well, now you get to cheat. I don't know. Maybe 755 faster? (laughs) You know, if you hit 35 home runs, is that a good season for people that know baseball? 35 home runs in a season is really good. Acuna Jr. is doing, is having an amazing year, and he's probably going to be on top of 35 by the time that the season is out. And we would look back and say, what an incredible year that was. Well, do you know to hit 755 home runs that you have to average over 35? You have to average, actually, for the 22 seasons that he played, I think it's 37. 
That's year in, year out. That's when you're hurt. That's when, you know, when you're feeling good. That's when you're stroking the ball really good and seeing the ball. That's when you can't tell the difference between a ball and a gnat. That you have to average 37 home runs for 22 years. Greg Maddox won 355 games. We live in a day and time when it's almost unseen for somebody to win 20 games. When I was growing up, there were a lot of times that you'd have a 20-game a winner, you know, a season where somebody would, Steve Carlton or somebody like that would win 20 games in a season. You don't see it that much anymore. But do you know to, to win 355 games, you have to win season in, season out, good years, bad years, 17 games. That's endurance, guys. Now, you could say, well, you know, Hank Aaron, he kind of did that all by himself because batting is pretty much, you know, for the most part, one man. Certainly the team you're on does affect a little bit because they can pitch around you if you don't have other hitters. But pitching, you're really dependent on your offense behind you. There's a lot of guys that are good pitchers, and yet if you, don't have, if you have a, a kind of a sorry offense behind you, you don't get the breaks. Anybody hear of a guy by the name of Phil Necro? Okay. Did he play in the glory years of the Braves? Or let's, what is another word that we could use for those years? Losersville. That's what we were termed. And those years, do you know that he won, let me make sure I get this, I was going to say 317, he won 318. I would have robbed him of a win there. Phil Necro, during the years that Elena was known as Losersville, won 318 games, guys. That's endurance. That's winning in season, out of season. That's when you have no team behind you and you still go out there and you still win your average of 17, 18 games a season. That's amazing to me. Well, I say all that not just to give you some baseball facts, even though some of you are going, go on, go on, you know, because you just like baseball. I say that because this is the challenge that the writer of Hebrews put before us, that we are to run the race, this Christian race, with endurance. He said, okay, as you go out there, you are to run with endurance. You're to live with endurance. You are to finish with endurance. That means as we live the Christian life, whether that's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however long that we'll live before we go to see Jesus at the end of our lives, that that means that during the really good seasons, (laughs) when we're feeling it, and songs that we sing this morning come easy to us, are those years when we are not feeling it and we are going through really a lot of struggles in our lives and we sing songs and we're going, I don't know that I even believe that right now. You're in and you're out. Because we're going to have those ups and downs in our own life, guys. And to think that our own life doesn't affect our spiritual life, we're fooling ourselves. God made us, we are miraculously made. And the mental and the physical and the emotional and the spiritual are intertwined. They're not, in one way they're separate, but they're intertwined together like a thread or like a rope where you get those four and they're intertwined. And so when you're having those emotional days that are really being challenged, to think that it doesn't affect you spiritually, you're fooling yourselves. When, when you are hurting physically and you don't feel like you can even get out of bed because of pain or because of whatever else, to think that that doesn't affect us spiritually, we're fooling ourselves. And yet, God puts this, not challenge out there, he puts this exhortation. It's a command, but a loving command that he wants us to be able to do. And he's going to give us some instructions how to pull this off. He said, man, I exhort you. 
I want you to run this race with endurance. And so that's our challenge this morning. How do we run this race with endurance that has been set before us? In times when our passions are really high, and the times when we're just wondering if there is even a God that exists. And he gives us, in verse 1 and 2, he gives us three things that we are to do to help run with endurance. Let me go with those three things real quick. We see in verse 2 that he says, okay, I want you to, uh, verse 1 and 2, lay aside things that weigh us down. A picture then, again, was the Olympics, and you're going there, and the runners would actually run either naked or they would run with just a, a what we would call a thong. And they would run because they didn't want to have any hindrance whatsoever. And he uses that illustration. He says, okay, when you're running, if you want to pick up anything, you know, that's, that's going to kind of weigh you down. This Bible is really nice here. But if I'm running a sprint, if I'm going through going to run a race, I don't know. Joshua, you just started back cross-country track. Do you think your time is going to improve or decline if you had to run with this underneath your arm? Yeah, I would think it's going to get, you're going to add more time to it because you're not going to be able to run as fast with this weight underneath your arm. And so the instruction there, okay, one of the things you need to do if you're going to run with endurance, man, the thing that just kind of entangles you, the thing that, that kind of weighs you down, get rid of it. The second thing, he says, rid yourselves of the sin that constantly trip you up. In other words, these things that, you know, that are just kind of your pet sin, the thing that keeps on coming back in your life, even though you've prayed about it, you've tried about it, sometimes that's anger, sometimes that's lack of forgiveness, other times it's worry, whatever it might be. He says, okay, get rid of that. And then, of course, he says, okay, keep your eyes on Jesus. And that makes sense. Now, we're not going to cover any of these three today because I'm going to focus on one other that he adds to this list that he really kind of sets out before this. And it's not, please hear me, it's not because these three are not important, okay? These three are very important. But there's one that I think we overlook sometimes because we look down, okay, these are the things that we need to do. Well, one of the things that he invites us to do there is back in verse 1, and he said, since therefore, or therefore, since we are surrounded by what? So great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what does that mean? In this context, he's looking back at chapter 11. Moses, Abraham, Noah, all these people of great faith. He said, we look back on their lives, and it encourages us because we see guys like Joseph that really went through some really difficult times, and yet we see that they were able to persevere. We covered last year, we covered Joseph, and we looked for uh, eight or nine, ten different weeks, all the ups and downs of his life, and how he kept the faith, and he persevered. He ran a race of endurance, even though there were all these obstacles against him. So he points back, this author points back, and he says, okay, in order to do this, one of the key things that you're going to have, along with getting rid of those things that entangle you, getting rid of the sins that trip you up, keeping your eyes on Jesus, these are all important. But he said, one thing that you need to have in your life is a great cloud of witnesses. Now, for you and I, what is the context of that in in our lives? I do believe it is Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Noah and other people like that. I think we go back biblically and we can can begin to kind of gain. When we were going through the Joseph series, numerous times you came up and said, man, that's what I'm going through right now. And that encouraged me this morning, Pastor, to see that God took Joseph through that. 
And so we still have this great cloud of witnesses from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. But I also think that we're not stretching or taking out of context this biblical passage when we are supposed to have a cloud of witnesses that constitute people in our lives right now. Not just historical figures. Not just people that we can look up in a book. But that we are to have people in our lives that we're doing life with that are just a witness to us. They're just an encouragement to us. They correct us if if we're about to walk wrongly. My question to you this morning, do you have a great cloud of witnesses around you? I mean, have you surrounded yourselves with people of faith? Um, Some can be your age, some can be younger, but do you have people that are older than you? So that when, you know, that you come along and and you're 45 years old and and you're going, okay, man, I've never reached this point before. I've never had to make this decision before. That you have somebody who's maybe 65 years old that says, okay, yeah, I had to do that about 20 years ago too. And and here's what God taught me. And their wisdom gives instruction to your life. That's a great cloud of witnesses. That's a witness to you. And oftentimes they'll say, okay, I can't tell you what to do. But by golly, I sure can tell you what not to do. They say, okay, here's the three things I did, and I wish I would have never done those. Please learn by my mistakes. We as parents try to do that with our kids all the time. And our kids go, no, I just want to make my own mistakes. Kind of frustrating. But as grown-up people, and especially followers of Jesus Christ, we should take instruction from others. We shouldn't have this attitude of, well, I'll just kind of make my own choices. You know what we call that? Besides kind of crazy and not so bright we call that pride and here's the thing guys every one of us in here every one of us in here has a very very healthy dose of pride would you agree with that this morning that one reason we call it being a private I'm just kind of private I'm just kind of private you might be kind of private but you're kind of proud if you really do think that somehow you don't need other people around you, I'm not saying that there's not some people that are very, very private in nature, okay? That's not so much what we're talking about. We're talking about when we kind of isolate ourselves from instruction from other people. And here we're told very much that we are to have people in our lives. It can be those Old Testament people. It can be reading biographies about people like Jim Elliott, that missionary that gave his life and his wife that survives, that goes on, and she's running a race of endurance and still loving Christ all these years later. Not bitter, even though she lost her husband to, to you know, the, the cause of Christ. If anything, it just endeared her that much to Christ. I need to see that because there's going to be times that I feel like I've lost something because of the cause of Christ, and instead of seeing that as being robbed of something, I need to have that that kind of mindset that Elizabeth Ellie does, like somehow God in your perfection, you're still good. We just rang, sang that this morning over and over again. We, we remind us of God, you're good. That God, you're in control. Four reasons, guys. And if you're a note taker, please write these down. If you're not, please write these down. Because this is, this is where our, our pride is going to fight against this. I promise you. And I am the most proud person I know. I can say that not in an accusatory way to you when I said that we're all filled with pride. I can say that because I know that I am a proud person. 
I am stubborn and belligerent at times in my pride. I mean, ask Carly. I mean, and I don't say that as a joke. I mean, truly, ask Carly. She goes, oh, yeah, he's a very proud man. Why do we need a great cloud of witnesses around? Let me give you four words. We need direction because you don't always know the right way to go. We need protection. Sometimes we need somebody going, you don't want to open that door. You don't want to go that route. And we just need somebody who's either been there, done that, or somebody who has a different angle. Because where we're we're sitting from, we can't see it or we refuse to see it. And somebody's standing over here and goes, if he just keeps on doing that, he's going to run into that church building. That was not meant. I just said that and I was going... Don't tell Jeff that, okay? That was not intended. It's not in the notes. It was probably just the Spirit of God that laid that upon. <laughs> and for those that don't know that joke, don't ask Jeff. <laughs> so we need protection. Somebody has a different viewpoint and a different vantage point. We need affection. We need people in our lives because there's times that, guys, we need to be loved when we are very, very unlovely. Amen? Have you ever been unlovely? And we need correction. We need people that will speak truth and love. And usually it's really hard for us in this day and age to uh, speak truth and love to people because we have this attitude that we just need to mind our own business. It's not my business. I'll pray for him. But, I, you know, it's not my business. It goes, no. If you love somebody, and it, this is based on that we have accountable relationships. I don't know that it's really your job, Janet, to go over here to, to somebody if you don't know them and say, you know, by the way, here's four things I think you need to work on in your life. I don't know that it's going to be well received. I don't think it's wise. And I don't think that's the biblical command here. I think what the Bible is teaching us here is that in these accountable relationships and in this cloud of witnesses of these people that we've gathered around, that we're loved enough that when we're about to step into error or we have stepped into error and we're kind of going down this road, that somebody loves us enough and say, man, I love you, but you are ruining your life. I don't know that there's a single person who has ever walked terra firma here that does not need that at some point in time. See, one of the things that uh, makes us quit the race and not run with endurance is that we lose hope. We, we lose hope when we've had a string of defeats. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You know, that when you're down 26 to 3 and it's the third inning, you just kind of lose hope. We lose hope when it has been self-afflicted, when we've made wrong choices and somehow now it's come back and we're reaping what we sow. And all of a sudden we have to to, to live out the consequences of choices that we've made. So God says, okay, one way that you can run with endurance, since since hope is such an important part of this, surround yourself with people that are going to give you biblical hope in the right things. Because there's going to be some friends that you're going to have, guys, 
that the only hope that they're going to give you is that whatever this catastrophe, whatever this challenge, whatever this friction in your life is, that the only relief you're going to get is if that's going to be gone. And that's not biblical. I said it before, you know, it'd be really hard for us to go to Africa and preach the true biblical gospel if we equated the gospel that, okay, you're going to have food in your bellies, you're going, to have, you're going to be free from disease, and you're going to have wealth and prosperity in your life. Because some of those little kids in Africa may never have that in their life. And, and you could go to any other country, and you could come to the United States. When we promise, okay, God's blessing, your hope is that God's going to remove this. But you're going to have some friends that love you. They're going to say, you know, that's, and, and it's fine to pray for that. It's fine to pray for that. Man, if I have affliction, if I have a physical affliction, if I have a spiritual affliction, if I have a relational affliction, will you please pray for me that that's going to be removed? But just be reminded, the Apostle Paul says, I prayed three times. And God, you didn't remove it. Why? Because you were maturing me. You were growing me. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. But I found out this great truth. In my weakness, God, you showed up so strong. And I need friends like that. And you need friends like that. That will pray for this to be removed, but that if it's not removed, that they're just praying for you to encourage you. Why? So that you have hope. Because look at the connection that God has with, uh, with this hope. He begins to tell us... Uh, well, let me first go back to Hebrews chapter 10. I don't want us to, to, to miss this. Hebrews 10, same author, same letter, okay? Not two different books, same guys writing this. It's just what we read a little bit later on was a little bit direct uh, after this. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've preached on that before. It's a wonderful passage. But let's break it down really quick. He says, okay, here's the instruction. Let us stir up one another. To what? To good works and to love. Part of this Christian race. We're not saved by good works, but we certainly have been created for good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us about we're saved by grace, but it says, but now God has prepared for you these things for you to do. He comes right afterwards and talks about good works that God has prepared for us. We're not saved by those works, but he said, because now I have saved you, now I've prepared for you to go out there and make impact on your community. So how do we surround ourselves with people that are stirring us up? Oh, Pastor, I got somebody who stirs it up. But it's not good works. The Bible said that we should have people in our life that are stirring us up for love and for good works. And by the same account, he said that we should be stirred. In the same time that we're being stirred by others around us, we should be stirring others around us. Do you see the beauty of what God has constructed there, guys? Do you see the beauty of this relationship? That we're in these sometimes really hard relationships, but in loving, accountable relationships with this cloud of witnesses around us. And, and we're stirring some people, and, and they're stirring us. 
And God says, you're going to need this in order to have the hope to run with endurance. It could be guys on your football team. It could be uh, cheerleaders that you cheer with. It could, be, it could be a multitude. It could be that person sitting beside you in class. It could be that person who sits at the lunchroom table all by themselves and God calls you to go over there and just sit with them. It could be a thousand different places that we are to stir up love and good works. And at the same time, to let our pride go down so that, that people could come into our lives, our very private lives, and stir in our lives. This is the command of God. And he said, but, and he's making this in a, in a reference to Christians. This is a command of Christians, not to all humanity, but to those that follow Christ. And he says, don't neglect meeting together. In other words, he said, one of the places this is going to happen is actually in the church. Don't neglect coming. You might say, well, Pastor, that's kind of self-serving. Of course you wanted always us to be here on Sundays. Yeah, I would. But I would hope that it was always for this reason, so that, that we can, because, guys, we can do life better together than we can do life apart. And that doesn't mean that we have to be here 52 weeks out of the year. It just means that we are edified. I pray that we are edified when we come in and, and we become vulnerable to doing life together. And he gives the instruction and keep on doing this and do it even more as the day approach. What is this day? The return of Christ. And if you've read anything about the Bible about this return of Christ, things are going to get worse before they get better. In the last days, there will be and some pretty tough stuff after that. I truly believe that every Christian if possible, should have an older Christian in their life. I think, you know, man, I'm older than you. I'm not going to embarrass you by saying, Bobby, he just said he was the same age I am. That man's an old man. I'm still a young man. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't have a relationship. Uh, Bruce, you and I are about the same age. That You know, we're to have this stirring relationship with one another. But, but the Bible says, okay, we really need to have somebody also a little bit older than us that's still pouring in. And pretty soon we're going to be that top tier. And that's okay. We'll pour downhill. And God will take us home. But until then, we need people pouring down to us. Have you ever seen those fountains? That one little, it's like five different cups. And this one pours into that one. Then it fills up. And then so it pours into the next one underneath it. And then it fills up with water. And, it, so, it pours. and so you got the, it's all the same water. And yet, it starts at the top, and it just starts pouring, and you have this little fountain going on. That's what God says. He says, man, I I want you to be like that fountain. I want that 80-year-olds who have run the race and tried to do with endurance to pour into the 60-year-olds. And I want the 60-year-olds, man, you'd be pouring into the 50- and 40-year-olds. And you 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds, you'd be pouring into the 30-year-olds. And you 30-year-olds, man, you pour into the 20-year-olds. Here's the other thing, guys. In your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and 90s, you all pour in the teenagers and the children. You become part of the great cloud of witnesses that that little 8-year-old that shows up for Sunday school or for church, and you go back there, and you've barely prepared the lesson 
And you're going, man, they were just screaming. They didn't catch a thing. I guarantee you they caught more than you'd ever believe. When I was in ninth grade, I started teaching sixth grade boys. That had to be of God. Because there was no way that we're in a ninth grade that you'd trust your ninth, a ninth grade uh, young man with sixth grade boys. And every week was an effort of futility. Or so I thought. I like baseball. I like games. I like competition. I'm a guy. And so at the end of the lesson, we'd always do Bible baseball. These same kids that were not, same sixth graders, didn't know left from right, up or down, wet from dry. As, as far as what I was teaching that morning, not, not in, well, maybe in general too. But for the most part, it, it just didn't. Come for Bible baseball? I'll take a triple question. I'd answer, and the triples were hard. Home runs were the most difficult. Singles were kind of easy. I'll take a triple. I go, man, you weren't listening the whole time, little Johnny. There's no way you can answer it. I'd give the triple question. Boom, he'd hit that, answer that. And God reminded me at that point that, man, they may be all over the place, but my word is not going to return void. Here's the thing, guys. Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. And what's the last part of that? So what? So that they should set their hope in God. This is, what, this is what our trouble with endurance is when we want to get off the tracks, when we don't want to run, finish the race, when we get frustrated. It's because we've lost hope. And where is that hope really? Ultimately, it really is hope in God because we're going to hold him kind of responsible in one way. God, you, you need to fix this. And what did the psalmist say? Man, you tell the stories of the wonders of God, of the might of God. You tell them to your children, and they will tell them to children yet unborn. And you keep this going. Why? Because they need to set their hope in God. And it's these stories of how God showed up really big in your life. Not just in Moses, not just in Abraham, not just in Noah, not just in this hall of fame and faith, but in Seth's life and in Brian's life and Mark's life and Chris's life and Dustin's life. You, you teach in the middle school. And I guarantee you there's days you're going, you're walking out of that classroom going, nothing was learned or retained. And there's, and there's some days that you might be actually factually right. <laughs> and yet because you love those kids and you do crazy things like a wrestling club, you're, you're a part of a great cloud of witnesses. You may never know this side of heaven, the influence. It's what God has called us to be. So here's the, here's the thing, and we're going to close now. Do you have a great cloud of witnesses around you, guys? Are you stirring up people to love and good works? And are you allowing yourself to have these accountable relationships where others are allowed in to stir you up to love and good works? This is how we run with endurance. 
I'm saying this because, again, remember, it's an exhortation. He's a coach who wants us to pass the test. And he says, okay, the way that you run this race with endurance, the way that you finish this race with endurance, is this is one of the keys. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You put off the sin that so easily entangles you. Yeah, you take off anything that's going to slow you down. But one thing that I'm going to do through all of this is I'm going to do it through a cloud of witnesses. Because when I have a cloud of witnesses around me, all of a sudden things that I don't consider sin, they may come up and say, you know, Bobby, that's really not biblical. And those times when I'm trying to, to throw off, you know, I'm not, I don't care about throwing off something that's entangling me, they're, they're going to go, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to, to run fast with your shoelaces tied together, spiritually speaking. All the, and, and, and to keep my eyes on Jesus, when my eyes want to go to other places, I need a cloud of witnesses. I need Brian to come in on a Friday morning at discipleship time and, and, and to be able to say, man, are your eyes on Jesus this morning? We need that from one another. And so as, as we be, kind of begin a new church year, you know, the start of school and everything, just wanted to, 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 to preach this this morning because I think it's so key in a world that is becoming more and more individual. You can get better sermons through a podcast. You can get so many things sitting at your computer desk or some kind of video or something in your home. I've said it before, but let me say it one more time. We need one another. We're commanded to stir up one another. So life begins here. And I invite you into my life. And I thank you for those that have invited me into their lives. This is how we run with endurance. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you that uh, the real race has been finished and done and completed through the finished work of Christ. But, Father, as we are challenged to run every day, Father, I think of, uh, of Hank Aaron, and I think of the Greg Maddoxes, and I, I think of the Phil Necros, and how those guys in baseball truly are all-stars and Hall of Fame people. Because season in, season out, good teams, bad teams, they were just consistent. And we recognize, Father, the, the fruit of, of that consistency, of that endurance. And we simply would ask today, Father, as you've given us instruction, Father, help us to be people of endurance. Father, I pray that we would open up our very private lives. And by the way, we don't have to have 20 people in there. Father, we, we need a couple people in there to encourage us and challenge us. And Father, sometimes you've put that person as a spouse, one of those key people in our lives, as a spouse. And we thank you that, that a spouse can be there as friend and, and comforter and, and all these different things. But Father, we also need it in other relationships. So Father, will you build around us a great cloud of witnesses? And Father, would you give us the great privilege to be part of a great cloud of witnesses in somebody else's life? We love you, Father. We've seen this morning of your goodness and just how you're always good. And Father, we go out today just reminding ourselves 
how great you are. We love you, Father. As we ask all these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.